This is Echo Box Radio. Yes, you're still listening to Echo Box Radio here at Musikgebouw uh, today together with Deckmantel. Um, thank you, Falklip, for the hour of power. I was really happy that you could come. Um, next up, we have Diaspora Radio, our, um, our usual suspects at Echo Box, and very honored to have you here today. Also joined by DJ Haram. Thank you for coming. Enjoy.
welcome welcome at a new episode of diaspora radio today we're live at a music gebouw different than normally normally we're like in a in a small room a concrete room with windows now we have a lot of windows even a live audience as well so it's quite (laughs) quite different than what we normally do um Meron, we always do like a, a mm moment, which means a, a moody Meron music moment. Uh, we start with a track. Um, which track did you brought along? Um, today I brought along a track by uh, Insalar, uh, a Turkish psychedelic rock band with Boris K. And uh, what was it all? What does Wikipedia say? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the track is called um, Demedim Me. And that's called, uh, that's translated to uh, Didn't I Tell You? Um, yeah, that's it, basically. And why did you brought it along? Um, like the first show we did was um, 14 episodes ago. I started off with an old track. Um, also by Insalar, so yeah, it felt right to do another one after 14 episodes. I can imagine. Yeah. How are you today? Um, quite nervous. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why? <laughs> an <laughs> audience. Sure. <laughs> you should imagine that normally we don't have an audience in front of us, so it's quite a, a nerve thing to do to sit here. But yeah. you're nervous at this moment. What? You're nervous at this moment. A little bit. Let's call it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what we normally talk about uh, for the next hour, we always uh, invite guests uh, with a diasporic background. Um, and mostly people, artists, people from the creative industry that has uh, a North African, Middle Eastern background, roots. So today we, uh, we invited uh, Zubaida, also known as DJ Haram. Welcome. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. Also, I was relying on you guys to be calm and collected, so <laughs> Sorry. If, we, if we need to take a break to take some deep breaths. It's okay. <laughs> but how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm feeling great. My, my flight and my jet lag lined up so that I just feel normal right now, so it's a good day. Sun shining. You, you arrived this morning, right? Yeah, I arrived at 6 in the morning. Did you sleep well? No. No, you no. <laughs> I've been sleeping really bad, and I was like, this hotel bed is going to be amazing. I have four pillows. You've but got a sauna as well. I don't know. Yeah, there's a sauna. I didn't go yet. I I'm didn't sorry. go yet. I'm not that <laughs> hype. <laughs> um, but no, it was, good to, it was good to rest. It's good to rest. Good to hear that. Um, so, Baida, I mean, people probably ask themselves why DJ Haram, but let's start off with... Zubaida, what does Zubaida mean and where does the name come from? Uh, so, Zubaida, yeah. I love how you say my name. Nobody ever says my name right. Um, someone I know who I've been friends with for months and months was talking to me the other day and they called me Zubadaya. I was like, do I know you? Um, so allegedly my name comes from uh, like an Arabic phrase, I think uh, like Syrian Arabic that uh, means cream of the crop. So it kind of means like cream. 
also known as perfection. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's, that's, good. that's what it means, I guess. <laughs> High I mean, standards. I mean, if we're talking about pronouncing or, or saying the names wrong, do you get that same experience as well? I mean, Mehran? Mehran? Yeah, I was called Miran. <laughs> Met Miran. No, <laughs> Miran. <Okay. laughs> Did you just say let me run? <laughs> no, you <laughs> just said. <laughs> I mean, my name is Honey, but I've heard like really different things about like Hamid, Ali, uh, people that can't <laughs> pronounce my name. But uh, yeah. How do you I, say it? Honey. Honey. Like honey, I'm home. Like honey. Like okay. honey, yeah. Cool. I actually don't know what it means. I thought my mom was sitting here in the audience, but I think she's still in the parking, uh, parking her car. Maybe she could have explained that, but uh, she's not here yet. But Zubaida, you were telling that your name was had Syrian roots. Yeah, uh, my my uh, paternal grandmother picked my name. Okay. Yeah, and that's my Syrian side. And and if we're talking about ethnicity, you, you, I mean, we always have like a pre-talk before we invite people here, just to know people a little bit more than uh, than we try to do at this moment. But you talked about having a Syracusian root ethnicity. Yep. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was the first time that I've heard that. But when the moment oh, really? that I called my mom, she was like, "Yeah, I know the Where group is of Syracuse." Mom, we need her. Mom, where the <laughs> hell are you? She's not here yet. <laughs> But, yeah, tell me, what, what, what is the Syracusian root ethnicity? Um, so I have family from Turkey, Iran, and Syria, as far as, you know, I know. Um, I've actually only been to the Middle East on tour. So the family I know of is family that comes to America and keeps in touch and that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, my Circassian roots are my only indigenous roots that I know of, um, that my family has you know, preserved. Um, It's people indigenous to the North Caucasus region. Um, A lot of cultural similarities um, with countries like Armenia, Azerbaijan, Uzbekistan. Um, Some other words for it are Adiga. Um, There's a lot of different sects. I mean, you know, when you get to like uh, history and like indigenous roots, there are like, you know what I mean? Like very old tribes and you know like kind of um villages it's like a village identity so it gets more specific but yeah um yeah i mean today wikipedia told me that they're (laughs) they're almost like almost 50 million syracusians that living in diasporic and uh, i mean you're you and your family obviously do as well um um, you were born in in the u.s right yeah can you tell us where California. Mm-hmm. I was a I was a Valley girl for two years. Uh, so my parents are both immigrants, um, and uh, but they met in America. They had an arranged marriage, and um, they got married really young. And I don't know why. I've never figured out why. But they moved to California after getting married, and they chilled there for like eight years before having kids. Um, and well, I'm, yeah. Which country did they leave before coming to California? Turkey. Turkey. Yeah, okay. yeah. But both of my sides of my family were only there for, uh, like, none of my grandparents were born there. Mm. So we're very transient, yeah. <laughs> unrooted. 
Um, but yeah, so they lived in, in California for like eight years before having children. Um, my sister was older than me. She lived there until she was about five, six. I was born there and I lived, we moved when I was about two. Okay. So um, it was in like the Orange County area. And uh, I've heard was, there are a lot of Iranian people as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. both Iranian LA. born and uh, uh, obviously we left because of multiple reasons, uh, the different wars, the politics, religions, reasons as well. So yeah, there's a big community of Iranians in, yeah. uh, in Orange County too. Absolutely, absolutely. Maybe you probably know some of my family that lives in Orange <laughs> County as well. I was just going to say shout out morale. <laughs> not, not your morale, no, my morale, no, but yeah, Persians in Iran, I mean in, uh, yeah. I mean in Iran too, but in LA. Family. Well, what is your story, Mehran? I mean, you were born in Iran as yeah, well. Yeah, I didn't know you were both. You both are immigrants. Yeah. You both born in Iran. I was yeah. born like uh, in in the beginning of the 90s in Iran, um, and I moved here when I was three or four, I think. Yeah. And um, is your mom here too? <laughs> no. Where's your mom? <laughs> she's not here. He didn't invite her. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, um, I've been living in, in the Netherlands for 30 years now, but almost. Yeah. Almost 30 years. Yeah. 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 And how's life here? What? <laughs> How is life here? Pretty good. <laughs> Actually, if I compare it to my family who's still living in Iran, it's like a fucking shithole. Mm. Um, a lot of things got worse even when my parents left they were like they just had the war and all the political change and everything but in a way still things got worse and worse like at this point um, there's like hyperinflation and people are really trying to get by um, people with normal jobs can't pay their rent or food anymore so that's pretty shitty yeah. yeah, I can imagine. So I'm really happy my parents came here. <laughs> yeah. How, how about you, uh, Zabayda? I mean, yeah, your parents left uh, Turkey and came to California. Um, I mean, you've never experienced uh, Turkey. Um, have you been, I mean, saying back is like maybe a wrong definition, but have you right. been, never been to Turkey? Um, so I, I lied earlier. Um, I, I have been when I was two years old, but I don't remember it. So all of my other experiences in the Middle East have been tour. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I and want to go. And do you speak Tur Turkish as well, or? No, I barely speak English. <laughs> <laughs> we say, I mean, English is not our first language, and Dutch isn't either, and Farsi, like the the language that uh, our parents speak, isn't our first language mm -hmm. either. So. Right. I can imagine. Right. I mean, well, so I grew up hearing like a Circassian dialect. Which is, has some words that are Turkish, some words that are um, Mandarin, some words that are Farsi. I think maybe Farsi would maybe be the most similar, um, and Arabic. But I like I, I I had that experience of growing up and hearing it, and then talking back in English. Yeah. So <laughs> I feel like when I entered school, my English was fucked up. But I never really, you know, that's why I say I barely speak English. Like, yeah. I've been exposed to a lot. I know a little French, too, <laughs> a little Spanish, you know, but, yeah, no. Sounds amazing, though. Yeah, I mean, I try. 
I mean, the, th the thing about um, uh, the Dutch language is, I mean, uh, as you can imagine, when you're, I mean, I was four as well when we, uh, when we left Iran and uh, actually a quite different leave than what, what people uh, have these days, like leaving by boat and being uh, on, 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 on the way, like for months. I mean, we actually took an airplane to Mumbai, stayed for two months in Mumbai in a, in a crappy hotel room and uh, finally came to Amsterdam. Actually, it was the idea to go to London because we, we had uh, an uncle there. But uh, yeah, I mean, Schiphol Airport, they found out about our fake passport. So we, we, should, yeah, we had to stay in, a, in, a, in Amsterdam. But eventually we, we um, um, actually I learned the Dutch language to my mom. So she learned by speaking yeah. Dutch. That's the same for me. Same thing as well. How about you, Sveda? Are you asking me if I have a fake passport? What was the question? No, no. <laughs> I was asking if you um, had the same experience, like um, uh, learning your parents, the, the, I mean, English probably. Um, oh, no, no, no. Um, my, my, my father immigrated um, when he was uh, like 18, and my mom immigrated when she was two, three, four, oh, yeah. something so like that. So, you know, in a way with my dad a little bit, you know, because yeah. he never really cared enough to assimilate. Um, but with my mom, no. But in, in a way, because of my interests, I, I feel like, uh, I don't know, there's parts of American society that my mom understands in a way that I don't. I don't know. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. it's different. And, and what nationality, um, if, if I would ask your parents, um, where are you from? What would they say? I think just for ease, they would say Turkish and Syrian. And you? Are you more <laughs> American or? I know, right? I don't. I mean, I I try to rep Middle Eastern because I like to rep all of the origins. Also, no one, even you, has heard of my people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and. Yeah, so I say that, or I engage and have a conversation. Um, mm. But yeah, if we're talking about like cultural cultural stuff uh, of the the Syriacian uh, 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 community, yeah. Um, if we're talking about holidays or parties, um, I mean, do you do still? I mean, we're we're doing the 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 per, the, the Persian uh, the um, the is, is which is our uh, New Year's Eve, um, and I think it's almost like for 13 days we celebrate New Year's. What's up? <laughs> Sounds nice, though. Yeah. Uh, but but do you guys are still at home like celebrate the the Syriacian Syriacian um, cultural parties, holidays, whatever, or? Um, no. So I have a interesting story. Uh, my name is DJ Haram because I'm about that life, for real, for real. I um, have been soft, uh, cut out of my family, like over 10 years ago. Um, the majority of them, not all of them. I'm really close with my mom and my sister and some of my cousins. Um, 
So no, I don't really have that part of my life. I think if I was to celebrate like any um, Muslim holidays or any cultural holidays, it would probably be with, with friends who are of mm-hmm. like an ethnically mixed, racially mixed background, which I love and I um, value a lot. Um, but even before that, um, I've always never understood like my family. My family particularly like does not celebrate. Like, I wouldn't get gifts for my birthday. And, like, on Eid, I would get money, like, you know, for my uncles and stuff like that. But my parents, they were like, you know, we're making good dinner. That's good enough for you. Um, I mean, I grew up really poor. My family is still poor. So I think that's part of it, of just not, like, creating a lifestyle where you're, like, used to getting nice things unless it's, like, a very special occasion. And holidays come several times a year, you know what I mean? Um, So... I think in both ways, talking to like the disconnects I have with my family and as well celebration and cultural things, like I've used music to come closer to those yeah. things because it isn't something I necessarily have had uh, intimate ties with from my like biological family. Yeah, <coughs> yeah. But if we if we're talking about like your cultural background and. Um, Some of you probably don't know. Um, um, in, prepar- in preparation of this uh, of this talk, we always all ask artists to uh, bring along some tracks uh, that we, we love to share with you guys. Um, and one of the questions was like, um, which track does remind you of your uh, Middle Eastern roots? Mm-hmm. And you brought brought along a track. I did. I did. Which one is Wait, it? Wait, can I look for it? I'm yeah. a DJ too. <laughs> Me Ron, you Ron. Let's play. Um Okay, this I brought a couple. But I'm just gonna play this one because I think it's unlikely it'll get played on your um on your show. Enjoy. This is like a song that's you'll hear it like three times at every wedding. And I will say that in very traditional Middle Eastern fashion the biggest functions are weddings. So when it comes to celebrating and enjoying culture, like that's what I grew up on as far as that exposure. And like in my community, it's like, you know, 300, 400 people weddings. So this song was always the one where it's like the old heads turn up, you know, so. Actually at this moment, my mom is sitting there. So enjoy this song. Thank you. 
good? I thought it sounded good. What did y'all think? Right? I mean, I think on, on this kind of music, people dance next to each other, hand in hand. Uh, in Dutch, we call it the polonaise, but like in a good way, right? Yeah, uh, a <laughs> little dinner napkin on the end. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Is that how you would dance on a wedding? Where you? No, I'm not a man. No? <laughs> no, no, I Is might, I might. Is that different? I, th I think so. I mean, I think it definitely depends, like, uh, like on a, culturally on a smaller level, like your community and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, every um, you know, old head Middle Eastern function I've been to, either in my culture at home or like you know when I've been to Cairo and stuff like that, is gender separated for the most part. And yeah. you know, men men be turning up having mm. a good old time and it's fine and that's good and that's like a cool thing but you gotta you gotta know how to act as a woman yeah. so even if you're literally doing exactly you know what your uncle is doing it could mm. it could cast shame on your entire family yeah. <laughs> you know so i was chilling at the weddings you know yeah. when, when was your last time that you went to a wedding a middle eastern wedding um, right. My niece got married in Iran, and it was quite a traditional Islamic wedding. So, like, um, males, women apart. Separated, yeah. yeah. So, it was quite weird for me because people would go out and get to their car and drink alcohol and then come back. And Drunk then, as hell. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my last wedding experience, too. And everyone was acting like they were not drunk in a way, but everyone knew who were drunk. Right. <laughs> so. Right, they're yeah. sweating. Yeah. Sweating. <laughs> I, I had the same wedding, like, I think it was uh, a couple of years ago when my mom's little brother, um, he, he was marrying, and um, um, the family of uh, the, the woman that he was marrying with, uh, they were quite Islamic. So we had like we were celebrating it in a in a big house, and we had like a separate uh, uh, a sleeping room uh, where all of the alcohol was. So they were like, if you want to drink, just go inside of the room and have some alcohol. But if you come inside, don't show the people that are quite religious that you drank a lot. So all of my nephews and cousins were like drunk as fuck, but. It was quite nice. Uh, that's that's how we should, a wedding should be, I think. Um, that was my last wedding experience too. The last, <laughs> the last um, wedding. Well, I I kind of went to a wedding and when I was in Cairo because that's where the best music is. But it was a bit awkward because everyone that I was with that was from there was men, so I couldn't really hang with them. But um, the last proper one I went to was. Uh, my first cousin got married and I was a bridesmaid um, so yeah I had that exact same experience of going to like the dressing room and like taking a shot and my mom being like your bread smells <laughs> your bread smells eat, a, eat, a, eat some bread like <laughs> when we're coming back to you and uh, regarding growing up uh, in, uh, in the US um, I mean um, you were born in Philadelphia, right? 
we just talked about how I was born in California. Hello. Oh, you're California, <laughs> but eventually yeah. you're based in Philadelphia. I mean, that's what the no. Techmantle website says about I know, you. I know. I need, if anyone out here wants to write a new bio for me. Where's Melissa? <laughs> Mine is really old. <laughs> no, I haven't lived in Philly in three years. <laughs> um, no, so I was born in California. Um, I have no memories from there, some photographs, so I believe that it's true. Um, my family moved to New Jersey, which is where they originally immigrated to and where my grandparents were and where the rest of my family was. That's pretty much why they moved back. Yeah. North Jersey, like 20 minutes outside of Manhattan. Yeah. Um, and I lived there until I was 18, 19. When I was 19, I tried to live the dream and moved to New York City. Couldn't make it, and I ended up in Philly for about nine years. And then during COVID, August 2020, oh, it's about to be my New York anniversary. That's nice. August 2020, I moved to Brooklyn, um, and I've been there since. But, but how was it for you, like being a, a kid of, of migrants? Um, I mean, um, if I have to, uh, for, for example, I mean, for us, I mean, for, let's talk about myself. For me, I, I grew up like a pretty in a white bubble. Uh, being uh, a person of color uh, brought along like different hard things as well like uh, racism and wh whatever but how was it for you like growing up in Orange County and, and being a kid of, uh, of uh, migrant parents? Um, so where my family lived and where I grew up I moved around a lot um, once we moved back to New Jersey um, but we were pretty much centered around the city of Patterson, New Jersey. Um, and uh, South Patterson is, you know, it's like, it has a, like so many different diasporas there. Like it's the kind of city where it's like, this is the biggest amount of, like I think it's the biggest amount of Circassian people um, outside of Turkey and Syria and maybe Russia. Like, they're definitely the biggest in America. There's a very significant population of Palestinian people there. Um, so I, I grew up in, like, neighborhoods that look more, to me, like the Middle East than they do, like, America. But then it's just that thing where it's, like, uh, you know, low-income neighborhoods all over the world look like each other. So there's, like, people of the similar you know, beige to yellow-brown in this neighborhood. You know what I mean? Speaking similar languages. Yeah. So it's like, of course it's similar. Um, but, yeah, um, I, I feel like I grew up with a really, really uh, stark contrast between, like, my life in, like, America and an American society and school, pretty much, um, and my home life and my neighborhood and my family, um, being very much not that and also uh, my family especially yeah my family were the type to you know they lived in America somewhat by choice but they were very resistant to assimilation they were very resistant to like whiteness and you know the American dream type of propaganda uh, but, but did they hang yeah. out with their own community mostly yeah. as well yeah exclusively pretty yeah. much yeah and that's what they wanted for me too. I grew up with really strict parents. My school friends stayed at school. And my friends that I got to hang out with were kids from the mosque, my cousins. 
Um, there was like, you know, like a little Arab community center thing. Um, and yeah. How was it for you, like in the, in the first couple years that you were in, in Rotterdam, right? Um, uh, just, just outside of Rotterdam. Sorry, yeah. what? Just outside of Rotterdam. Just outside, yeah. Schiedam. No, no, other side. <laughs> Capella. <laughs> yeah, that side. <laughs> But how uh, was it for you, like growing up in the neighborhood that you grew up in? I think the first few years were easy because um, we were kind of new and um, people were pretty interested. But like later on, um, I think um, the start was when there was like a refugee ship next to our village and um, when when that ship came people were um, more openly racist from that point where was the ship from um, where were the refugees it was from? just um, um, a based ship where re refugees could live on oh from all over yeah oh, okay so it was just a place uh, to for them to live for a while until they got their papers to live in a regular uh, home. Um, but from that point that they came there, um, I got also I got a little bit older. There was always a, a little bit of racism, but yeah, kids are kids and people are, kids are saying stupid stuff. So I didn't get really mad about that. But at a point it was like pure, Nazi shit and people wearing uh, like boots with white uh, laces and bomber jacks and like full on I hate everything that's not white vibe. <laughs> yeah, man, I've I've yeah. totally got the same experience when we were uh, when we talking about uh, racism. Uh, like where um, um, uh, in my experience, I've I've met a lot of. Uh, Uh, fascism and uh, Nazism uh, at the same time and uh, uh, grew up fighting a lot with people like fighting fighting even though it wasn't my choice but I did scrappy <laughs> <laughs> but I mean how, how was it for for you I mean did you had any experience regarding that like in high school uh, yeah um, definitely I mean it was different for me because I was born in the country that I lived in um, And I also, it's funny because I compare all the time my, my, my life as a youth um, in North Jersey versus when I moved away. So I grew up in a place where there is like a huge Middle Eastern diaspora. So even if they don't know like who I am or where I'm from, they kind of get who I roll with like culturally, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. <clears throat> Even honestly, like most common thing, if people don't know how to read me, they think I'm like Latino or something like that. But um, moving out of there and moving to and living in places um, like when I lived in Philly, there's not very many Arab, Turkish, Middle Eastern people there. There's a lot of Muslim people. There's a lot of Black American Muslim people there. Um, so that's cool because that feels like a, you know, significant cultural, like, you know, like I get I get your life kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, But it is really different because, I mean, I, I grew up with the privilege of having my skin color as well as growing up in an environment where people were kind of considerate of where I came from and kind of got it. Um, I mean, I definitely had it. I, and I also went to schools that were very black and brown until my 
sophomore year of high school and then I dropped out in my junior year because I was like fuck this shit <laughs> um, but I think honestly the the the, the worst I didn't I, basically I'm saying I didn't grow up around that many white people for it to be a problem but I think the worst of it was um, you know when 9-11 happened I was like in elementary school yeah. and it was very like whole class turns around like do you know them you're like no bro i don't know them do you know bush yeah that was a game changer wasn't it yeah yeah definitely yeah what was it like for like i don't know anything about outside of the experience of america was it like a day you remember and everything i, I mean for i mean for me it was quite okay-ish i mean especially when people knew that you're not a Arab, which for a lot of people was like, oh, being an Arab is a quite a horrible thing. Um, so when people knew that you're Iranian, so you're you're like safe. But the moment that 9/11 happened, like everybody was the same. It doesn't matter if you were Kurdish, Turkish, Iranian, Arabic. It doesn't matter. Everybody was the same. So that was actually you're the saying moment. before 9/11, it before was specifically it was okay. Arabs. Yeah. That got the hate. I mean, in my in my wow. uh, in my environment, definitely. How was it for you? Um, I'm not sure if 9/11. Yeah, it got a lot of like um, like all those jokes. Yeah, but it, those were like also in my opinion jokes that people make, and I make jokes back at them. I don't. I didn't really care a lot, but in general, like the whole. Um, like where Pim Fortuyn came after 9-11 Geert Wilders came after 9-11 now we have Cherry Baudet like the whole um, political movement of anti-Arab anti-Islamic world uh, political movement got like in the last 20 years since 9-11 it got like crazy yeah. yeah I think what's interesting about the kind of like uh xenophobia and racism that we experience is that people from the Middle East are so like ethnically and racially and also class wise very very diverse you know what I mean yeah. and it's like uh, in my experience in America like people like we evade understanding like maybe it's because the Arabic al alphabet is not Uh, the same letters and people are like what is this you know mm. what I mean or like maybe it's just so different um, but I feel like it's it's a very different experience than like for example like I feel like the easiest comparison point is like you know Latino people it's like people know all about DR and Colombia and PR and like the different music and the different cultures and like they understand it's a different thing to be like Dominican versus Puerto Rican or something like that but I feel like for Middle Eastern people for me it's just kind of like that's y'all I don't really know where that is it's not even a continent it's like three <laughs> you know and like the only thing you see especially like kids growing up now the last 20 years of Middle East or maybe 30 or 40 years uh, uh, the only image you see is like war images or right. like yeah. these uh, countries fighting each other or poverty in uh, certain areas it's like not a the, the only image that some people have about the Middle East is like a negative image absolutely Definitely. yeah 
Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I remember that growing up. Even, you know, I mean, like, the, the Gulf War was happening before 9-11. You know what I mean? This was, this was still, like, the backdrop of if you look into it, um, that's what you see. If you look at the newspapers, that's what you see. And I think part of... I think that is partially what has led to me identifying... One of many things that has led to me identifying as an American... Um, maybe first in a way um not saying that this is a good thing and this is about like me being prideful but it's like i didn't see any reflection of myself that i related to except for like american arab american turks american muslims and like elsewhere it was just like i don't you know what i mean like i don't understand why this is all yeah. we see like <laughs> but that's something beautiful because like in I don't feel we have that in the Netherlands where you can say you're Dutch Iranian or Dutch Moroccan. It's either you're Moroccan and you demolish, uh, or uh, or you're Dutch and you demolish like your Moroccan roots. You have to be like Dutch. Don't speak Arabic. Don't um, celebrate your parties. That's like I think in America it's you have like an Italian community identifying as Italian Americans like right this bicultural thing I don't know why it is but it's way bigger there you know what's funny too is um, one of many things that American people can be uh, ignorant about is how there are immigrants everywhere um, so yeah we have we're very very commonly have the hyphenated Italian American African American mm -hmm. Arab American whatever And I feel like people think that, like, I mean, if, uh, maybe not people I know, but I think people are like, oh, you're going to the Netherlands. Like, everybody there has 10 generations back. Like, there are no immigrants there. Like, you know what I mean? That's just, like, a country with, with their people. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, Whereas, yeah. like, America, maybe even a place like England, people understand that it's diverse. But, yeah, that's interesting. I never heard so someone weird. say that. If we're talking about <clears throat> about roots and your cultural background, I mean, the, the second question uh, we had for you, the second music question was, uh, which track does remind you of your Middle Eastern roots? And you brought along a track, which is called... I don't know. What's, wait, reminds me of my roots? Yeah. What was the first question you asked me? Because I feel like I played no, that the song first, already. Was that the first question? Oh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, your youth. My youth. Your, your youth. Play the youth song now. The youth song now. <clears throat> okay, so the song that I wanted to play was by a rapper. I don't know if you guys like hip-hop music, but um, he's kind of a big deal on the East Coast. Jay-Z put out this song um, when I was a kid called Big Pimpin'. And nice. it was a game changer for me, okay? It was a game... Because, you know, Timbaland sampled um, Hassan Ramzi, the Egyptian... Uh, drum player, uh, you know, composer. Wait, I can't read upside down. Oh, here it is. So I didn't have the song, so I made an edit of the beat. So it's not the Jay-Z version, but this is my edit of the beat. Is it the song? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, you know this sample. <laughs>
this song because I've heard that Hassam Ramsey's estate is really bougie. Like they were really weird. They fought and sued Jay-Z and Timberland. They were like, we don't fuck with rap music. So You know the reason? The reason? I, I think it was some respectability shit. I think it was like big pimping. You know what I mean? Like we're God-loving, modest <laughs> drum players from Egypt. We are not pimping. <laughs> um, but Jay Z can pay anybody off, so whatever, man. It's a good song. Yeah, hit it with the fade. It's kind of just a loop. But why was like the original song a game changer for you? Um, I think honestly, it felt like it united my like my chosen communities and stuff like that because um, I guess one thing I didn't mention about my family and musical origins there and influences there is one important thing is that I had some uncles that played instruments. So I had one uncle who, I mean, he could play everything, but most what stuck in my head most is that he would play um, accordion, which people don't even hear that and think Middle Eastern music, but low-key it'd be in a lot of songs. Um, and I had uh, an uncle that would play like you know different hand drums like darbuka and stuff at weddings and I was really into that and I like love the sounds and you know like the flutes and all the wind instruments and all the string instruments are so beautiful um, and I've always loved that aesthetic I've always loved like yeah weddings so I could actually hear that and like going through my dad's cassette tape collection for that but uh, I, I feel like I was alive for the period of time when Middle Eastern music started getting folded into hip-hop. And so outside of, you know, what I was influenced by through my family, I was really into just, you know, mainstream music. Um, rap, reggaeton, like pop music, that kind of thing. And like, I loved it, but it didn't feel exactly like this is mine. It felt like I'm respectfully enjoying and participating as somewhat of an outsider and I just like uh, yeah then I grew up in the era where like all kinds of Asian diasporic music was being sampled in hip-hop and yeah it just felt really cool it wasn't like oh we gotta bust it down to Don Omar again it's like oh we can hear some like you know Arabic sounds um, so it just it just felt cool. I feel like there wasn't never very much um, outside of like the fetishization of Middle Eastern people for me to be like proudly claiming, you know what I mean? And be like, yeah, that's our shit and we're cool, you know? And yeah, actually, I mean, these days you hear a lot of uh, electronic music uh, mixed with uh, uh, Middle Eastern or the African uh, sounds as well. Um, um, I mean, these days you're hearing that more and more. I mean, DJ Pleat is like, uh, it's like representing his roots. He's a star. <laughs> I mean, what what do you think about like people uh, bringing in like Middle Eastern sounds in 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 in, in electronic music? You do it yourself as well, but yes. I mean, maybe the people outside of the community. White people. White people. <laughs> um, uh, I'm going to be, I don't know, you know, I mean, it's interesting because there was this obvious like surge of interest investment and in pop music, like inclusion of like Spanish music. Um, including like you know 
Spain, Spanish artists, but also different stuff. Um, and a lot of people were speaking to me about that, and they're like, you know, Rosalia's going crazy, Arca's going crazy, you're up next, boo. <laughs> and I'm just like, I don't know if I want to be up next. Like, um, I don't know. I mean, I think, the, I think the thing that you have to admit is that Middle Eastern countries, whether or not it's people that are from the Caucasus or whether it's people from Africa, um, there's a lot of like colonial history there. There's a lot of damage that has been done to the entire planet and to people of darker skin tones than your average Arab um, done by the Islamic Empire, done by, you know, uh, very, very powerful nations. Um, so I don't think the conversation of sampling and working with Middle Eastern music is exactly identical to other conversations that we do have about appropriation. Um, I'm okay with a degree of like respectful engagement. Um, there's this one particular producer who I won't say, but people want to talk to me about him all the time because he's very into Middle Eastern music. And I'm like, it seems like he's done his research and also the music is good. It's not just for nothing. It works in my DJ sets. And I'm like, I'm kind of okay with it. You're clearly like, tied to people who educate you who spend time with you you spend a lot of time outside of just like exploiting culture by actually learning about it and i like i, I do think there is space in the world for like um you know cons well you can't really say consensual because no one's like allowed to consent for a whole culture but i think there is room for people to like explore and do that um i think i think it's yeah i think just like being respectful and like understanding understanding why you're trying to like if there's something that you feel like it's culturally off limits i think it's important to recognize why it feels like that and in middle eastern culture i've seen more people with their knuckles white grasping and trying to hold and keep others away from our culture because of reasons of anti-blackness more so than keeping white people uh from you know, saturating with courtiness, you know, at the end of the day. So I'm like, yeah, I, I see more like black people who want to sample Arab music than I do white people. And I think that's cool. And I think that's actually a avenue for like growth and healing, you yeah, know? I totally agree. Sure. How is it for you? I mean, you're uh, on a side job, you're a DJ as well. <laughs> I mean, how is it for you, like, hearing people playing, like, songs uh, the moment that you can, uh, come in the club, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, like, Iranian sample tune or whatever? I don't know. I, the, the stuff that I know, like, last I was listening to this Nas track um, where he sampled Kurosh. It's amazing. Yeah. Really? I, I feel really proud when I hear Nas singing on a beat. Kurosh Ahmai. Yeah. Wait, a new song? What? It's a new song? I think it's maybe three, four years old. Now, the, the Nas song is actually from, yeah, I think 2016 or whatever. Yeah. And the Kurosh Yakmai, like the original track is like from 1970. 60s, 70s. 60s, 70s. Yeah. <laughs> 60s. <laughs> hey, but um, we're almost running out of time. We've got seven minutes left. That's how fast it But I've got like a really major question. Oh, God. DJ Haram. Okay, let's go. Haram. I'm scared. <laughs> Why Haram? 
Can oh. you tell us something about why you choose the name you choose as as an artist? Yeah, I mean, I've always been the black sheep. I've always been the bad one. I've always been the, if there's drama, it's my fault because I act out. I'm a sinner. I'm an improper woman. I have been blacklisted from my community. Like, I, I am that girl. <laughs> no, but, I, but it's cool. I mean, I, I think it's also, like, in some ways... Um, Was it hard for you to like start as a DJ, as an artist, as a producer in the environment that you, I mean, with the with the, with your with your uh, with the background and uh, and uh, and uh, and, uh, and the environment that you li li live uh, li live in, lived in, lived in? Mm -hmm. I mean, how was it for you to like start as as a woman as of a color? musician? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean. I started out not knowing if I was going to take it seriously. I started out more so because there was a big house party scene in Philadelphia. I lived with the DJ um, and we would just throw parties to make some money for rent. You know, like just need a little money. We need somewhere to chill. Um, I'm also queer and it was like a queer scene and it's like a little bit more comfortable like house parties versus like clubs. Um, so... It, it, it actually only got harder once I started taking it seriously. I think it's the most hard right now, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Because I am busy. I don't have time. I don't know. I got shit to do all the time. People emailing me being like, hi, Zubeda. Just following up. I'm like, what? Come on, when I first started, I didn't email nobody. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, like the struggle is real. Yeah, it still is at this moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But do you remember your first rave? I mean, my first you, rave? your first rave, your first DJ gig you ever had. Oh, my first that I played. Definitely. Oh yeah, my first DJ gig ever was um, almost exactly 10 years ago because I learned in order to play a New Year's Eve party, my friend got arrested for writing graffiti. We had to make some money to help pay for her legal fees um so we had a new year's eve party and that was in 2013 so i learned in order to play on that eve so it's about to be my 10 year anniversary congrats <laughs> yeah thank you thank you thank you <laughs> this new year's um so that was my first party ever um i remember like zook was having a moment like mad decent put out like <laughs> zook mixtape and i remember my whole set just like went to shit and i just played like a bunch of zook tracks at the end the whole dance floor was outside smoking cigarettes so and what can we expect from you like you're playing on tomorrow you're playing at 3 p.m. 3 p.m. Yeah. At, uh, at Nest? At the Nest. So the people that Where are the standing at. here, just uh, just go hop by, see DJ Haram play. Uh, at three, was it a three or two? I think it's three. Melissa? It's three. <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, nah. I check. I, I've, been, I've been talking about it because I just realized this morning um, what time my set was. I'm used to playing at like three in the morning. So I'm like three in the afternoon. Okay. Y'all going to get some R&B. <laughs> so, yeah, come see me. A last music question. I mean, yeah. we can go on for hours and hours, I think. Maybe we should. No, it was this, so it was so quick without the microphone and uh, right. enjoy more more. I don't think Mehran has heard anything in this whole <laughs> conversation. <laughs> Is there anything 
you still want to people to listen to or or wait or maybe what? or the song or the track that you would play at a festival a main stage like i mean our fe- uh, that amount of festival is done at 12 or 11 p.m 11 which track 11 which track would you play at 10 55 i'm gonna i'm gonna play this song and i'm gonna look at all of your faces because i just it's a mix down i just bounced it out i did it for this rap group called shrapnel <clears throat> what it's not working i'm not gonna play that song <laughs> wait 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 try Did it again that one that one don't work this one yeah okay no 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 that's not it i pointed at the wrong thing i'm used to having that was not working that's crazy okay um play okay i'm gonna play this song because i feel like this is another i was gonna play a song i made because i wanted to hear the mix down um <laughs> but this song is by a dj named ta he's from new jersey um he's a really really great jersey club um producer and dj um and yeah i mean honestly like speaking of diaspora i feel like jersey club encapsulates like a fucking beautiful and like generations and generations of diaspora and like drum tracks and dance um <clears throat> and it's a thing that i have been intimately close to and involved in because of where my family happened to immigrate to and i love jersey club and i know y'all do too so let's just hear a little bit of it enjoy and thanks for being here thank you so thank much thank you this see is you awesome. tomorrow as well thank you guys <laughs> Nobody in here, don't make me kill nobody in here.